You're listening to the Psalms for Sojourners podcast, in which we look at the Psalms as prayers for God's people on every occasion. We hope it's a blessing to you. Hi, and thanks for listening to another episode of Psalms for Sojourners. I'm Pastor Cole Kirby, um, a pastor at Sojourn Montrose and the regular host of this podcast. In this week's episode, I'll be sitting down with Pastor Peyton Simpson, who's a lay elder at Sojourn Montrose, uh, to talk about his experience with the Psalms and um, specifically to spend some time discussing Psalm 107 uh, and some of the beauty that Peyton finds in that. And so I hope this conversation is a blessing to you. Well, hi, Peyton. Thanks for joining me. Howdy. Happy to be here. Yeah. Um, Well, for those who are listening who might be a little less familiar with who you are, although most of our listeners are likely Sojourn Montrose people and are all too familiar with who you are, um, why don't you just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, your family, your role at Sojourn? Yeah. Well, I grew up here in Houston uh, and went to high school at Westside High School and moved to Austin and got a degree in petroleum engineering at the University of Texas. Hook them. That's right. And then I uh, spent three more years in Austin working at an old company there before moving to Houston in 2014 and joining Sojourn Montrose. And so I've been at Sojourn Montrose now for about six years. And a year into that, I married Caitlin, my wife. So we've been married five years. And we just celebrated our baby's one-year birthday, baby Sage, who's now toddling. Um, And other than that, I just celebrated two years as an elder. I was looking back today at the plaque to get the date right. October 21st, 2018 is when I was ordained as an elder. Uh, So that's been two years of that. Yeah, that's awesome. Does it feel like longer or shorter? It feels like a lot longer. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The last year, the last few months have felt like a few years. Yeah, I think that's true for most people. And I I feel the same way at work. And, and, you know, it's just time has gone by a lot slower or faster. I don't know. And maybe, you know, this has nothing to do with the Psalms, but it might be helpful for people. Um, How would you describe... What it's like being a lay elder? Well, the first thing I like to tell people is you get what you pay for. (laughs) And my salary is zero. Uh, But it's not quite like having two full time jobs, but it's kind of like that. Uh, And there's a lot of times during the week when I would otherwise be focused on my full time job where I am thinking, praying, and planning and doing things with you guys uh, or, you know, reaching out to members and and doing things. So it's a, it's an exercise in in balancing time. And then it's also an exercise in discretion because I have a tendency to want to weigh in on all things, whether or not I am the right person to weigh in on those things or not, or whether I really even know what I'm talking about. I often (laughs) like to weigh in on things on which I am not an expert. Uh, But there are a lot of decisions that you and Reed make as staff 
that are not explicitly elder decisions that I am tempted to weigh in on and I'm learning to uh, prioritize and, and to kind of... To just let us make let our mistakes go. and learn from it. <laughs> yeah, Without and just sit back advice. and say, I told you so when <laughs> things go awry. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's probably helpful in in a lot of different areas of life for different people, learning when they're needed and when it's best to to let other folks do things. But I think that it's it's important, I think, to have you on because um, even though you're not on staff and you don't really spend time in the pulpit on Sundays, you are very much a pastor to our people and involved in the shepherding and teaching of our people. Uh, and so as we talk about Psalms, and I know that you're just a really avid listener to Psalms for Sojourners. I am. And... So you know the question that's coming, but that is, what role do the Psalms play in your life as a Christian? Yeah. And, you know, this podcast has actually been a a really great resource for me over the last few months. And I've actually learned a lot about the Psalms, listening to you and to your guests, as well as reading through and, and praying through them together with the congregation. And it's been cool to see, you know, Nick posts a lot and, and I've seen Reed and you and some other people post on Slack, you know, regarding Psalms that we're reading that day. And that's been a really cool experience. And I'm glad that we landed on this format. You know, we, we had tried earlier doing videos and things like that, which were, which were also good, but this has been a lot more accessible, I think, to a lot of people. And, and it certainly has been for me, especially as I'm training for a marathon right now, I can just plug in my headphones when I'm running and listen to you. Listen or, to the dulcet tones of yeah. my voice. Um, mm. But yeah, so for me, the Psalms, I was, I was just, Cole and I were talking about this before we started recording that I have had some struggles with the Psalms over the years. Um, it, it hasn't always been for me a book that I go to first for encouragement. There have absolutely been times when I am in distress and at wit's end and I have gone to the Psalms for encouragement and for hope and just kind of opened the book, you know, hoping to hear from God and have had that experience uh, of being reassured of my salvation and his care for me in the Psalms. And those are certainly sweet experiences, but in my daily meditations in my daily quiet time, I don't think I've given the Psalms enough. And I, and I'm learning to do that now. Uh, you know, some of the, I think things that have been difficult for me in reading the Psalms is relating on kind of that surface level with the things that the psalmist is often talking about, whether that's physical oppression or uh, sometimes the psalmist is talking about his own righteousness, which I <laughs> have a hard time relating to. <laughs> uh, and, and, a lot, and the emotional nature of the psalms is, is a bit difficult for me to, to connect to and takes, it, it just takes for me a little bit more focus than maybe reading through like an epistle or a gospel would 
where there's a lot of, of nuggets of wisdom right at the surface. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's almost like a quick fix. Yeah. And the Psalms I'm learning take for me a little bit more time and patience and study to understand the nuance, the context, and kind of go beyond maybe even what the psalmist was explicitly talking about to seeing the text as prophetic and understanding uh, what what God is saying to us through the Psalms, which sometimes can be different than what the psalmist was explicitly referring to and often is. Yeah, especially if when we read the Psalms in light of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and as Psalms, not only about Christ, but of Christ, then yeah, they do, they take on new meaning that, that the psalmist may or may not have intended, but the spirit certainly did when the spirit was writing the Psalms through the psalmist. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which makes it very different from any other sort of poetry in the world. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and to me a bit, a bit more challenging and also more rewarding. It's sure. kind of like staying the course with a psalm. So, you know, just reading a psalm one a day, I've done that and gotten to the end of it and not felt like I really learned much of the psalms. Certainly some psalms more than others lend themselves to that. When you um, say learned, like taking them to memory to some degree. Yeah, gained familiarity, uh, memorized kind of that notion of having... Uh, the scripture written on my heart. Um, yeah, just that process of like, I'm going to read a psalm a day, which I remember as an early Christian being uh, some someone telling me that's what you should do. That's yeah. what your morning quiet time should consist of, uh, is reading a psalm a day. Uh, I To me, I need a little bit more time with the psalms. And I like that we do five a week instead of seven a week because that gives me time on the weekend to go back and and reconsider what I'd read that week. I also um, have been kind of taking notes of Psalms and really highlighting verses that stick out to me and and that are particularly encouraging or I find meaningful uh, that that I wanna commit to memory. And I've also consulted other resources uh, devotionals and things like that in this podcast, as I mentioned, being a primary one for me. Uh, and I'm just, I feel like I'm going deeper now than I have in the past with the Psalms. Um, the other resource I'll mention is just music, listening to songs that are explicitly uh, reflective of particular Psalms. You know, there's entire albums that Christian artists produce that are psalm centric uh and i think if you just type a psalm into the search of spotify you'll find a song for it i mean there's just almost one for every psalm so that's been a blessing and, and really helped commit like a lot of times i'm reading a psalm and the melody of a song that is that psalm comes to you know yeah i can't not read it that way such a helpful memorization tool yeah yeah. I mean, that's why in, you know, early childhood education, so much of what kids are, are being taught is in the form of song because it's, yeah. it's the best way for the brain to memorize stuff. Um, 
And so, yeah, and kind of that process that you're talking about of, of not only just reading through a psalm or praying through a psalm and, and then leaving it at that, but, but maybe revisiting it. Um, that's kind of how you got to the psalm that you wanted to discuss today. Is that right? right? Yeah, and like I said, I, I try to revisit and, uh, and go back and, and read through the psalms over the weekend that we had read that week. Um, and, and Psalm 107 is one that I think at first, the first read doesn't give you the full or didn't give me the full perspective of what's going on. And, and as I read it several times through, I started to see um, really a lot of poetic beauty that drew me to this psalm, the symmetry of it. Um, and then there's some aspects of this psalm that really point to salvation and what salvation looks like uh, and what salvation addresses. And I thought that is that was something that was very encouraging to me and and, uh, the way that the narratives in this psalm talk about the process of of God redeeming us um, and God saving us from distress uh, that, you know, made me immediately think of my salvation um, and then also the way that God redeems us beyond salvation right in, in individual circumstances and in relationships and things like that yeah and that's good that's kind of that's something that I don't remember who was on the podcast but we were talking about how it, it's so easy to want to put salvation into this box of like I was dead in my trespasses and sins and God made me alive in Christ and that was salvation or redemption but there are all these these moments and experiences and circumstances in our lives in which we need God to be a savior to us, a, a redeemer, yeah. you know, even if it, it is something as seemingly small as a fractured relationship, like we need God to redeem us. And this Psalm is like from the perspective of and about different situations in which God Redeems. I, I love what you said about like reading this psalm and coming back to it um, uh, partially just because of poetic beauty that you saw, even though you maybe didn't see the full picture of what was going on the first time you read it through, which I think like if most of us, if not all of us are honest about reading the psalms, that's often true, right? Mm-hmm. Especially ones that we're less familiar with, yeah. right? Like we might see a lot that's going on in Psalm 23, but that's because anybody that grew up in the church learned Psalm 23 over and over and over again. Right. And but, this Psalm, I've sh- I'm sure I've read it several times before. Yeah. But none of it was familiar to me when I read it this time. Yeah. And so now it is because I've, I went through that process of, of really going deeper. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that that also hits on kind of the musical quality of the Psalms because as a music lover, and I know you are too, there's, you know, you'll, you'll hear a song or an album that will have something about it that you're drawn to, whether it's a melody, instrumentation, maybe a couple of lines, the hook, mm-hmm. and, and for some reason you go back to it and you keep going back until eventually like 
you know that song like the back of your hand. You know what the songwriter is talking about. You are identifying with the themes going on. Like you're expecting the time change or yeah. the, the t- you mm-hmm. know whatever it is that that maybe you didn't expect the first hand time. But you know I think that there's a beautiful surprise in your first experience with a piece of music or art. Mm-hmm. In, in like wow, I'm surprised by how beautiful that was, or I didn't expect you know, that change at the end or the bridge to sound that way. But there's something even more beautiful when it's no longer a surprise, when you know it deeply. Um, yeah. Because then it's something that you're identifying mm-hmm. with. Um, and I think that that is true of some of the Psalms for me as well, that like for some reason there was a theme either in a season that I just really needed to be focusing on and so I kept going back to it or... Or maybe something that I just didn't understand, mm-hmm. right? That drew me back, right? Like yeah. that's that's often the case with other things in the world. Is you go back to it because you don't understand it and you want to. And um, yeah, with that being said, I, I know Psalm one hundred seven is is on the longer side of of how long the Psalms generally are. But but would you just read that for us, and then we'll talk a little bit about it? Yeah. So Psalm one hundred seven. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert waves, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and he burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on their great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. 
Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low, through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So a lot going here. Yeah, it is. And it's even through that first reading, seeing... Uh, some of the symmetrical nature that you already mentioned in it. Um, but, but why don't you just start talking about things in the psalm that, that you think are important or that initially stick out? Yeah, so the first thing that stuck out to me was there's these four narratives that are telling the same story with a little bit of different circumstance. Uh, you have those wandering in desert wastes. You have those that are in darkness, shadow of death, and prisoners. You have those that are described as fools through their sinful ways, and then you have the uh, those in ships tossed by the sea and at their wit's end. And in all of these, there's a shared verse about their redemption, where they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. So yeah. all of these have some circumstance leading to their trouble and distress, and it's from that place, um, their wits end, as it describes it in the last one, where they are calling out to the Lord, and he then delivers them. And so this, this, rep- this repetition of that verse, to me, w- was essential to kind of understand what's going on in all of these. Because it, when you start reading these narratives, there's, and you think about the circumstances that they're in, there's, there's quite a bit of... of uh, of difference in the circumstances, some, it would seem they are at fault. Right. Yeah. There's the third one. It says, you know, some sat, um, wait. Yeah. Yeah, Some were fools through their sinful sinful ways. ways, Right. Because of their iniquities. I mean, it's explicit because of their iniquities, they suffered affliction. Right. But then, uh, you know, the first narrative, it seems like, well, maybe it's not, they're ex- it's not explicitly laid out that they did something wrong. Some wandered in desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. They were hungry and thirsty, and their soul fainted within them. Uh, no mention of sin, 
No, they're just needy. They're needy, and there's some circumstance that's been thrust upon them that's made them needy, that's made them hungry and thirsty, uh, that's that's put them in trouble. And I find that to be uh, there's something to that. Right. That that whether our circumstances are of our own making and of our own sin or not, um, when we are in that place of trouble, we can call to the Lord and He will hear us. Um, in our distress. And I, I just found that to be so interesting and enlightening that, that these narratives, you know, from a worldly perspective, when we look at these groups of people, we might have different judgments on them, mm-hmm. but the Lord has the same judgment and that's redemption. And, and he, he rescues it, all of them. And there's no, it doesn't appear that there's any condition to that. Yeah. And then after the redemption, there's, there's a lot of uh, consistency in the response. Yeah. Yeah, this call to, to be thankful for his steadfast love. Right. right. Like that's kind of this consistent refrain is that God has steadfast love and so you should praise him. Yes. And so on the other side of redemption, it's no longer about what circumstance you are in, who caused it. It's only a posture of gratitude and thanks to the Lord that is indicated. Right. Yeah. It's like, regardless of whether you're being turned from a, a position of lowliness due to circumstance or lowliness due to sin, like God, God's redemption leads us all into a position of praise. Right. Yeah. I, that it, like where, where God takes us, regardless of where we come to him in need is the same place to be in awe of his steadfast love. Yeah. Yeah. I also thought it was pointing to the nature of God's redemption being continual throughout our lives, throughout different circumstances in our lives, not just referring to our, um, the point of our initial salvation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are circumstances like this that we will all be in at times. Uh, again, sometimes circumstances caused by our own faults and our own sins, and sometimes caused by the faults and sins of others, or sometimes seemingly uh, caused by no one's sin. Yeah. Uh, and the call is the same to humility and neediness and a desperation call upon the Lord and that he responds. Um, so that notion of redemption is far more than um, what happened to me that one time, you know, so many years ago when I placed my faith in Christ for the first time, uh, so much more than that. And so much more is being redeemed in my life beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's true. The, the beauty that, that God redeems, I don't know that it's harder to comprehend or more beautiful to me that God redeems us out of trouble when we have led ourselves there in our sin um, or that God redeems us out of trouble um, when like seemingly nothing but maybe his will has led us there. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I also think that the, the four groups, you know, described as being redeemed – they cover kind of a holistic narrative of 
of any sort of trouble that you might find yourself in. Like there's these two situations of like sin having the consequence of suffering. Mm -hmm. And then there's the suffering of the needy to start things. And then it's ended by, by these who are, who are seemingly going out searching for wealth, Mm -hmm. right? Like they're getting on ships to go to foreign lands to, to gain wealth and, and still, like the poor and the wealthier in need of God's redemption, the mm. sinful are in need of God's redemption. Yeah. So, w- what are some what are some other things in this psalm that you think are helpful um, that you found helpful, or you think would just be helpful for a listener? So, after the the four narratives, it goes into a stanza. Um, about what God does. And there's kind of this, to me, it's like a decoupling of creation, a decreation, and then a recreation. Uh, He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. So to me, that's the nature of the fall and the things that happened to humanity and to the earth as a result of the fall. Yeah. Kind of a decreation. Um, but but that's not all, right? Uh, that's only that's only the first part of the story, right? The second part is that he turns the desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in, uh, where they sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield, and by his blessing they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. Um, so on the other side, you know, in between these two, there's some redemption that's going on uh, that keeps on going, you know, as this progresses where he's turning um, a fruitful, a fruitless desert into pools of water and he's recreating. Yeah. And the language, I mean, that's Edenic, right? Like the, the idea of, you know, a fruitful garden um, and multiplying by God's blessing, right? Like that's what God told Adam and Eve to do is right. to be fruitful right. and multiply. And so, yeah, there's decreation because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And yet somehow God is restoring things right, to be Edenic or even better than that. And, and I, what we were kind of talking about more broadly before we started recording is, is reading the Psalms where we sit in history, mm-hmm. right? Like we, what what sometimes seems to be a mystery to the psalmist or um, something being yearned for by the psalmist, it, but, but relatively unknown. Um, surely not unknown by the spirit who is enabling them to write it, but unknown by the person pinning it, um, we have access to, right? Exactly. Like we know that mm-hmm. these are all pointing to the work of Jesus, right? right. Like in between verses... 34 and 35 something happens right right and and the psalmist doesn't tell us what it is and it's almost like there's this mystery of like what what happened to change this Mm -hmm. like on the one hand he's just describing the holistic character of god right that he redeems the needy and he brings down the proud Mm -hmm. but also there's something narratively that seems like it's just missing and we know that it's the work of jesus Mm mm-hmm yeah, and it there's so much hope in this this turning around. Um, you know, we can see the effects of sin so easily 
in our world. And I know personally uh, that that can be very discouraging as someone who uh, often thinks in the ideal, Mm. you know, and and a lot of times I, I let the ideal be the enemy of the good. And I, I just have that focus towards how things could be. And, you know, sometimes that's helpful. Sometimes it's not. But uh, seeing the world as it is, is, is to come face to face with the effects of sin and, and the effects of destruction uh, from man and, and to see our part in it as well. And so that is, can be very discouraging. But to also read this and know that that narrative, that's only half of the story. Mm. And the narrative is being uh, rewritten in a sense or... Uh, redeemed, I guess we should say, as we go forward, and it's not over yet. There's yeah. more to come. You know, pointing to a city to live in, um, springs of water. Uh, we're somewhere. We are somewhere in between that. The completeness of that picture. Sure, we've already seen uh, the beginnings of that work, um, and we know that the work is established and is going to happen. But we are also still waiting to yeah. see it be fulfilled completely. And so there is still an already not not yet for us right. as well. Um, and I find great comfort in as I'm reading these verses, seeing that it's not contingent upon those who dwell in the land doing anything. They are merely beneficiaries of God's grace. Uh, he is the actor in all of this. Yeah. Um, the only thing that's not ascribed to God is is in verse 34 because of the evil of its inhabitants yeah. that all the bad <laughs> things are happening uh, but he is the agent in all of these verses both in um, you know turning rivers into desert and springs of water into thirsty ground he is doing that and he has a purpose for it which we know uh, that his purpose is to get to the uh, the good stuff and to reveal his glory and his redemptive nature in redeeming the world and redeeming uh, his creation. And so he is the active agent in all of that. And so there is a sense of relief. Right. Uh, it's not us that has to do it. It's already been promised and it's already been secured. Uh, we don't just necessarily sit back and wait for it to happen. Um, but there is great comfort in, in knowing that it is he who created the world that is also redeeming it. Yeah. Yeah, the in verse 34 when it talks about all this decreation, the destruction of the created order due to sin, it says because of the evil of its inhabitants, which he noted. And then the recreation or the redemption, like it could say at the very end in spite of the <laughs> evil of its inhabitants. It's not that the inhabitants fundamentally changed in mm-hmm. Like the only reason they've changed is because God has made them change. Um, but even now, where I, I think you and I are both people who are keenly aware of ways in which we still have evil dwelling within us, hmm. like God is doing good things in and through our lives and our church in spite of the fact that that we're imperfect. Right. We, and, don't, we don't get in the way of And imperfect is probably kind language. <laughs> Right, like, yeah. um, and, and so I think, yeah. One of the things in this psalm that I find really, really encouraging is 
those two narratives of the four in the middle that that are about the consequences of sin, right? Like these people who are experiencing downfall, slavery, oppression, whatever it is, because of the consequences of their sin. I'm one who's keenly aware uh, of the consequences of my sin and often maybe even sinfully fearful of it, right? That like I'm going to make a mistake that is going to yield these lasting mm. repercussions. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I know we have friends who even right now are, are experiencing to some degree the consequences of their sin in, in a way that feels hopeless and permanent, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like there's nothing that, that's going to, there, it feels so hopeless. Yeah. And yet, like what encourages me about this psalm and really the narrative of what Christ is doing is that like if God is in the picture, there's no such thing as hopeless. Yeah. Right. Like even though my sin might yield consequences, mm-hmm. there is always hope for redemption. Amen. Um, and that doesn't mean my sin won't have consequences, yeah. um, but it just means that that won't be the end of the story. And that. I think is really, really encouraging mm-hmm. and, and, and helpful it, and hard for me to believe, honestly. Yeah. It's an important thing to uh, decouple the worldly consequences of our sin and eternal consequence. Right. Because we know there's no eternal consequence to our sin if we're in Christ. There's no condemnation. But we would be fools if we thought there was no worldly consequence to our sin. Right. There may not always be explicitly. Um, although oftentimes it is very explicit. Yeah. Um, but there, there certainly is worldly consequence to sin, and, and we should know that that is, not an indi- that is not punishment, and it's not an indication to shame or guilt, um, but rather it's, it's something that the Lord uses to discipline us. And that's in evidence in all of these narratives where it, it is the, the very nature of the circumstances that, that their sin and iniquity has caused, that's that has uh, humbled them to where they can come to the Lord with the appropriate posture. Yeah, yeah, they cried to the Lord. Yeah, and in His steadfast love, He redeemed them. Yeah, well, I'm I'm looking at at our record time, and it's probably time to to wrap things up. I I wanted to finish by just looking at the final verse of the psalm. I, I this is one of my favorite endings to any psalm because he's just given this long discourse on God being a redeemer. Hmm. And he says, whoever is wise, sounding like a proverb, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. And when he says, whoever's wise, let him attend to these things. Like, I think we expect a list of virtues or actions, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. if you're wise, do this, remember this, but, but he says, just consider the steadfast love. Like there is so much wisdom in just thinking, oh, my God is a redeemer. Yeah. He is full of steadfast love. Yeah. When I am in trouble, he will save me. Meditating on that. Yeah. And that's why a quick read through of a psalm per day may not get me. I may not get to that point if I have five minutes and I read the psalm and then I go about my day. Yeah. Um, is that meditating on the steadfast love of the Lord? Maybe. Yeah, but there are certainly ways in which we can focus our quiet time on on doing just that, uh, and, and intentionally considering a psalm uh, in a way that we could say we're considering the steadfast love of the Lord. We're attending to these things. That sense of meditation, 
yeah. um, and staying with it. And that's that's countercultural. It's it's not something that I think we're used to in our social media obsessed um, kind of cultural attention span. Right. Being very like short. We want a TikTok video. Yeah. Something short. Let's go. Yeah. What's the answer? Uh, but that's not the call of no. this psalm, and it's not the call uh, of many psalms. Yeah. I mean, it makes me think of the beginning of the book of Joshua as God's people are are preparing to enter the promised land and kind of have conquest over the, the sinful nations of the world. Um, and his command to Joshua, who's stepping into Moses's place as the leader of Israel, is to to be courageous and to meditate on the law of the Lord. Hmm. Not study it, not read it, mm-hmm. but meditate on it. Like, allow it to sink into your bones. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like the goal of reading scripture, and this is hard for me to recognize and even admit as like a reformed teaching pastor mm-hmm. is not for me to have like the most profound or impressive like exegetical breakdown of what's happening in the scriptures like fundamentally as God's child it is to meditate on them so yeah. that they change me mm-hmm. and, and not so that they change me so that I can impress God but so they they change me to realize how impressive God is right um, well thanks so much for for joining yeah me. thanks for having me it was fun well I hope everybody had as much fun listening as we did talking me too Find I hope somebody likely. listens. <laughs> <laughs> All right.